What's up, y'all? Welcome into the Sideline Review with Philip Jordan. I am Philip Jordan for 96.9 The Legend and last word on college football. And this is just my unfiltered look at the world of football. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, all your favorite podcast platforms. And if you are on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe, rate, and review. Really mean a lot if you would do that. And if you leave a review, I will read it on a future edition of the show. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at P. Jordan Radio. And please, if you're on social media, share the show out with all your family and friends. Everybody joining me as he does at this time every single week. We'll recap the SEC and college football. I'm Brandon Eisman, last word on college football, LSU writer, and he hosts his own podcast, the LSU Breakdown Podcast. And Brandon, once again, I'm glad to have you on to recap all this stuff. And, you know, man, I, I was thinking about this because, you know, I also cover high school football here in Dothan. The season has flown by. I, I was thinking about that before me and you got on the phone tonight that – we're in the last month of the regular season. It, it doesn't feel like the season should be this close to coming to an end uh, in the final month. But, man, this season, as always, they do every year. It's really flown by. Yeah, yeah, it really has. Uh, Philip. you know, I'm glad to be back on with you uh, yet again to, you know, break down the SEC and the rest of college football. And uh, you talked about high school football. I just want to hit on that for a second. And, and this goes for college and the NFL, too, man. The season really has flown by. Uh, I was checking Max Preps a couple nights ago, and, you know, my week's work Panthers are 3-6. and six, But, uh, hey, my LSU Tigers are undefeated, and we got a big game this weekend. I know we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But, yeah, man, the season flies by, and, man, i got to tell you, once it's over in January, there's just really nothing to do. <laughs> cuss words. Those are cuss words. On this podcast, we talk football <laughs> year-long, so don't even, don't even go there with me. Um, yeah, it, it will be – hey, we will have the XFL to talk about in February. So watch your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, and this weekend, look, look Florida-Georgia kind of saved the weekend, if you really think about it, because Alabama, LSU, Ohio State were off. All the other big schools that were playing were playing very, very inferior opponents. So I'm glad we had Florida-Georgia to look forward to. Uh, that 11 o'clock slate of games was horrible <laughs> Saturday. Uh, I, I told you all, I took a nap before the Florida-Georgia game. But interesting game. Florida loses 24-17. to You know, both me and you last week, we both thought that Florida would win this game. And they had their opportunities. Controversial call with the Lawrence Cager catch in the first quarter. You know, Georgia went up 10-0. It was a third down play, makes the catch. Then he, that eventually leads to a touchdown where Georgia goes up. 10 to 0. But you know, it was a good performance by Georgia. Uh I think they found a little bit more of the offense that we've been kind of you know criticizing them about the last pre- last few weeks and so you know, like I said, big win for them and they kind of do set themselves up uh to now uh get to Atlanta. Yeah, so if you talked about the offense from from Georgia and, you know, like you said, the last couple of weeks, me and you have both criticized Georgia because they haven't played well offensively. But, you know, kudos to Drake, uh, Jake Fromm and, you know, Georgia's offense to get the job done. And that Lawrence Cager catch, man, it was really a controversial call. Uh, look, there were a couple of crazy catches in that game, too. Uh, I was actually at my little sister's birthday party, but they had, like, 50 TVs where I was at, so I was keeping up with it. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, because it's football, so, of course, i got to keep up with it. Absolutely. Um, but... But, yeah, man, like, I picked Florida because, 
look, I, I didn't I didn't believe in Jake Fromm anymore as much as I had, you know, the the beginning of the season and last season uh, even. But, you know, I, man, kudos to Fromm to get it done. I thought Trash played well, too. Uh, Florida just, you know, they can't really win that game against Georgia. They lost, what, three straight to Georgia now? Mm-hmm. I think it's six, um, of, six and, of the last nine, too, actually. Yeah, yeah, and I, I saw a stat on, on Twitter, I think it was today or yesterday, um, about Dan Mullen, and he's like 4-16, and 16, I think, or something, in like top 10 matchups or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think all four of those wins came at Mississippi State, if I'm correct. Um, but, man, he's still doing a good job at Florida. Uh, there was the controversial call. Um, but Georgia has set themselves up to win the East now, and, man, I picked Florida – Probably should have went with Georgia, but I just didn't have enough faith in Fromm, and that offense definitely proved me wrong. Yeah, you know, and and my faith in Fromm has not wavered, and, and I, you know, of course, you know, and you are as well. I'm I'm a Sunday guy too. I like watching the NFL, and I I see you know an NFL quarterback in Jake Fromm. Just my complaint been that receivers were not getting open for him. They, I mean, they come into the season, they lost their top five receivers from last season. So coming in, there's a lot of experience there. Now, Lawrence Cager showed some good stuff against Notre Dame early in the season, but he kind of you know went away a little bit there with that. But then he had a big game against Florida with seven catches, 132 yards, and a touchdown, 52-yarder that put them up 22-10. to 10. Then he caught the two-point conversion, put them up 24-10. to 10. And you talk about Fromm. You know, this was – and I saw this, and I, I did not know this, actually. Uh, this was the first time – Georgia has won a game when he's had to throw the ball 30 times or more. He was 20 of 30 in the game for 279 and two touchdowns. So that was interesting to me. You know, usually, you know, when they're winning at Georgia, it's, you know, pound the ball. He's the game manager, which, of course, you know, I hate that term anyways. But I'll tell you what was the key for me in this game. You know, me and you talk about this. I'll bring this stat up a lot in big game. Third down. Who won third down? Florida was two or nine on third down, but that's not the part that really Florida lost. They lost it because of Georgia going 12 of 18. I thought Florida had a great first and second down defense. Their third down defense was awful, especially early in the game. Georgia kept getting third down after third down, long third down, but Georgia 12 of 18, some of the big plays happened on third down. So that that was the big that was one of the big things for me coming out of this game is just how you know Georgia winning third down when they had to have the big play uh, to continue a drive they were able to continue drives Florida was not. Yeah, yeah, certainly, and you know I'm going to go back to what you said just a minute ago about Jake Fromm being a future NFL pick, and he obviously is. But I want to correct you on this, Philip, just for a second. He's going to be the New Orleans Saints future quarterback. Uh, I grew up a big Saints fan. And I think he'll be the successor to Drew Brees. But going back to the Georgia-Florida game, uh, third down was really a big momentum boost for Georgia. You, you said 12 of 18. That's really, really stellar. Uh, and that's where Florida lost the game, I think, was on third down. They could not get Georgia off the field. Um, and even on the long third downs, like you said, I mean, Georgia was still converting. Florida was only two of nine on third down. Uh, so that was a really big momentum changer there in the game that I thought that really gave Georgia and helped Georgia get the win. Um, but, Philip, in terms of this game, uh, look, even – and I know we're going to get into Auburn in a little bit, but even if Georgia was to lose to Auburn in a couple weeks and still went out, they're still going to Atlanta. Uh, so I don't necessarily see a situation here where Florida could still win the East unless something, you know, miraculous happens. But, um, 
you know, Georgia locked up the East, I think, with that win. And that was a really big statement win for Kirby Smart because this is a Georgia team that's trying to get back to the college football playoff again uh, for the second time in three years. Yeah, you know, and looking at the Florida side, I think something that has kind of been an issue for them this season, even in some wins, I mean, Auburn win, they had issues with this till late in the game and Auburn's defense got tired. That's running the ball. Ford only rushed for 21 yards Saturday. And a big play early in the game on Florida's first possession, they got they went for it on fourth and inches. They went shotgun and spread all receivers. There was not a running back beside Kyle Trask. So you pretty much figured going, you know, for the rest of the game, Dan Mullen pretty much didn't believe they could run the ball. Because, you know, if you are a physical team and you pride yourself on that, you get fourth and inches, you're running the ball. You're putting the quarterback under center. You perhaps have a fullback. You're turning around, hand it to your your bell cow, which is my, you know, Lamichael Piron for them. But they didn't. They they went spread there. So that was a that was a tell tell sign that hey, we we don't think we could run the ball against the guys. And obviously they couldn't. And uh, that was a big struggle. And you know, looking forward for both teams. You know, like you said, you know, Georgia's got Missouri this week. But of course, we know how Missouri is a completely different team on the road than they are at home. You mentioned they play number 12 Auburn. They have A&M. Georgia Tech is having a rough season there. On the other side, Florida's got Vandy at Missouri. They're off. And then Florida State. So I see Georgia's schedule. We'll see what happens with Auburn. The Auburn defense is, is really good. Can they make that a low-scoring game? That would be interesting. To me, that would be the only potential hiccup for Georgia because, like I said, Missouri on the road, they're just not as good. A&M's an average to mediocre team. And Tech's having a bad year. So, yeah, I see, you know, the Auburn game would be the potential hiccup between now and Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, and, you know, for Florida, um, you know, they're going to beat Missouri. Uh, They're going to beat South Carolina. And (laughs) Florida State, we're not even going to get into that game. Uh, But for Georgia, yeah, I I think the only hiccup they they could have is Auburn. Uh, And, look, Missouri, like you said, they're, you know, they're a totally different team on the road. A&M. You know, they're, they're Texas A&M, man. And A&M goes to Baton Rouge the week after that for the final game of the year, so that can mm-hmm. be two more potential losses for A&M. Uh, but for Georgia, I think their road to Atlanta is, is pretty clear now. I, the only really gray part, you know, is Auburn. Uh, but even if they lose, I still think they're going to Atlanta. I, I just don't see them losing to Missouri to, to cause chaos there in the east. Yeah, I don't I don't either. In Florida, you know, we look at their schedule. That's 10-2. You know, and which is another good year compared to where they were at before Dan Mullen got there. That's still really good year going ten and two. But you got to think, okay, we've we've got two straight ten win seasons. If they were to do that, but how do we beat Georgia? So that's going to be the question for Florida probably in future years with Dan Mullen. But he, you know, he's doing a fantastic job there, and they were right there in that game. So let's move to another game: Ole Miss and Auburn. I uh, did not think this game would be close. Auburn was, I believe, a 19-point favorite coming to this game. They win 20-14. to 14. And I know, and I told you this off-air, I'm in some Facebook groups that involve Auburn, a bunch of sunshine pumpers in those groups. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and I, I share this podcast in those groups, too, so I'm sure if they're listening, uh, <laughs> I'm going to get, get some flack. But, anyways, uh, Auburn out. Gained them total yards, 507 to 266. Bo Nix had his best game so far, 30 of 40, uh, 30, 44, 340. He had one rushing touchdown. 
I like what they did with DJ Williams, 93 yards. But I'm telling you, man, and I, and I know people can say, and the people are trying to, you know, that are the pro Gus crowd, uh, trying to get the pressure off of his back, saying they outgained them. Just there were some execution issues in the red zone, or Auburn just didn't score a lot of points. And like I said, they almost lost. Ole Miss had a chance to win this game at the end. They had the ball at the very end of the game with a chance to win. But to me, it just highlights the constant issues with the Auburn offense, which is inconsistency. Uh, Play calling is an issue, and predictability has been an issue for Auburn, in my opinion. This offense just doesn't work anymore like it used to. And and a lot of attention, obviously, with the Joey Gatewood situation, which, of course, he's gone. He's in the transfer portal. I think he should have got some playing time against LSU when Bo Nix was struggling. And then there comes to the big thing that happened on Saturday night, too. A lot of Auburn fans left early. The Auburn team got booed at halftime. Now, I, I'm i against that. I don't like that. I don't like booing players. Uh, I know you're not really booing the players, but it's kind of the same deal. You boo, you boo. Uh, I believe they weren't booing the players, per se. They were booing the coaching staff. I know that. But I think also that is an alarming thing because the last time we saw – that happened at Jordan Hare Stadium was Gene Chizik's last year. The year where they went 3-9, and 0-8 in the SEC. Of course, Auburn is not that bad of a team. They are a, the 12th best team in the country by the polls. But I just see some things. I think there is a lot of split in the vision right now among the Auburn fan base, how they feel about this team and the coaching staff. And I... It, I'm not even really talking about this Ole Miss game much. It's just what's going to happen with the Georgia and Alabama games? What will Auburn crowd do? And if Auburn's offense struggles in those games, what's the reaction? Do they leave early? Because that's always the fan base sending a message, whether which half it is. So I'm I'm curious, I'm intrigued, and I'm, I'm concerned at the same time of how the Auburn season is going to end with all this going on. Yeah, yeah, certainly, Philip. And, you know, you brought up the fact that it's the offense as a whole. Uh, well, not necessarily, the, you know, the players, but the, the coaching part of the offense. Uh, and, look, it's, Bo Nix is not the problem. He's a true freshman. You know he's not going to be perfect. We've both said this many, many times through the last couple months. Um, Joey Gatewood leaving is not the problem. Um, it, it's really the, the coaching aspect of this offense. Uh, and you hit it. I mean, you hit the, the nail on the head, man. I mean, they, they've got to do something different. And it, it will be interesting to see, you know, how the, how specifically the Georgia and Alabama games go for this Auburn offense. Uh, man, if they can squeak out a win somehow in either one of those games and not go 0 2, that would be great for Auburn. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I mean, they're, they're, I'm not going to say they're the best two-loss team out there, but, man, they're one of the better two-loss teams. Um, and if they can fix this offense through the last couple of weeks of the season, man, I think going into their bowl game, you know, they can finish strong. I really, I, I think that even potentially with an 8-4 and four record, which I know you took some heat for, you know, for saying that in, in some places, but, you know, it, they, they've got to do something different, whether it's, you know, a, get rid of Gus, or B, ch- change your offensive coordinator, you know, go get somebody else. They, they've got to change 
the the shift here. They they've got to make a change on the coaching staff in order to go into next season because this season, I mean, you can save it, you know, go possibly nine and three or eight and four. But looking ahead to twenty twenty, if Auburn is going to you know, kind of mature Bo Nix and, you know, make, potentially make a run at a national championship, they're going to have to do something different. Um, and I don't know what that is. I don't know whether it's fire Gus, you know, go get a different offense coordinator, what it is. But the, the coaching aspect of this Auburn offense is the problem. It's not the players. It's just the coaching side of things. Yeah, and, and I, I said that, and I, you know, on social media that they're an 8-4 football team, what's going to look like to me. If I had a caller right now of saying – and this is completely different tune I was singing last week where I was kind of going into the four Georgia games. You know what? Georgia's offense has been struggling. Auburn doesn't have a great offense, but defensively they're really good. They'll be at home. They'll beat Georgia. Probably lose Alabama. 9-3, potential 10 wins if you win your bowl game. I'm looking at 8-4 now. And I'll say this, and this is where it comes back on Gus Malzahn. Look, I don't think he's a good coach when it comes to developing quarterbacks. Jarrett Stidham regressed under him. Fortunately for Stidham, he got drafted by the Patriots. And what we saw in preseason from him, he looks to be heading in a good direction. Uh, Jeremy Johnson was supposed to be the greatest thing ever. He regressed as a quarterback. He at times looked okay when he came in as a backup for Nick Marshall, but he got worse when he became the starter. And when I look at Bo Nix, now I don't think Bo Nix has regressed since the first game. I do not. But I don't think he has progressed either. I think he's still the same quarterback he was game one against Oregon. And that's not good because he should be at that point now as a quarterback this late in his freshman season where he is showing signs of improving uh, with his game. I don't see that. Now, I know everybody's going to say, well, he played great against Ole Miss. Yes, he, he had a good, he had a good game. Like I said, 30-44, 340 yards. He had the rushing touchdown. Didn't turn the ball over. So that's really good. But the big games, and now that's twofold. Gus has not put him in a good position to succeed in those games. That's why I have said to people, it wouldn't matter if it was Cam Newton back there, quarterback. The way this offense is playing, the way it's structured, the way the play calling is going, I don't think it would matter. But at the same time, I don't see the improvement from Bo Nix, which I think he should have been have improved by this point in the season as well. Oh, I agree with that, Philip. I, I really and truly do. I I think Bo Nix is kind of still maintaining that, you know, that straight kind of solid line that where he hasn't progressed, but he hasn't, you know, necessarily taken a, a downward slope either in terms of, you know, be, being a, a productive quarterback at Auburn. Um, and, and I'm going to reiterate this statement again, you know, Auburn's got to do something. And, you know, look, I you and I talked about this too before Joey Gatewood left, uh, that, you know, they should have put him in the game when Bo Nix was struggling. And now, uh, I'm not going to lie to you, Phil, I don't know Auburn's roster like head to toe, uh, but I don't know where Auburn would go backup quarterback-wise if Bo Nix was to struggle in you know one or two uh, of these big games here in November uh, against Georgia and Alabama. But they're, like I said, man, they're going to have to do something. And, I mean, I'm by no means an Auburn fan, but I'm expecting some kind of coaching change at the end of the season uh, to kind of revamp this team and make them, you know, into this national prominent contender that, you know, Auburn is supposed to be known as, and specifically in the SEC West and the SEC as a whole. Um, 
But, you know, we talk about Auburn's offense and, you know, their issues. But, man, Auburn's defense is still playing pretty solid football. Oh, it's a national um, championship-level defense. I mean, that's – you know, and I've told people, and I think I've wrote this or hinted at this in my articles over the last word, that this is a – that's the sad part about this whole season for Auburn. And, and, and you know, I know there's somebody going to say they're 7-2 and two and lost two top 10 teams. I know that. And on paper, that looks good, especially with your freshman quarterback. But – the way the offense has looked in those two games. And I, I'm not trying to just continuously bring that point. It's just that offense just needed to be average against Florida and LSU. They did not have to be great in either of those games. If the offense was just average, just average, made a few more plays, they win both those games, that offense was, was inept. They they weren't even mediocre. They were inept in both games. I mean, they were horrible. So, and now you look at Georgia and Alabama, if – now, if they come out, and they're talented enough to do so, I believe there's talent all over this team, not just on the defense side of the ball, but offensively too. If they can come out, maybe upset Georgia, be competitive close with Alabama, I, I, I think Gus Malzahn will be back next season. But those are two really good football teams. And if Auburn's offense just can't get it done, especially against Alabama, those also could turn out to be blowouts at home. And if that happens, that's a really bad look. It's different if you get blown out by them on the road in Athens and Tuscaloosa. But if you do it at Jordan-Hare, that's completely different, a different look, a different vibe. So for me, Auburn season and Gus Malzahn's future or whatever they're going to do at Auburn, if that, if that those two games, to me, that's the season. Georgia and Alabama, that is the season. So we'll see. You know, and – I, you know, I hope them well. I, you know, I cover this team. I want to, you know, I want to cover a successful team. I want to write about a winning team. I do. Uh, not trying to show, show bias or anything, but that's my main focus. The last word. I mean, you're, you're same way. You know, you cover LSU. You want to cover a team that wins games. It's a whole lot more fun when a team you write about wins. I mean, it's just a, it's a simple fact. So I hope they are successful. But I just this has been a trend for a couple seasons now, and it's just. You know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. So, you know, we talk about Georgia and Alabama. I guess we what I kind of to sum up the Auburn, talk, you know, discussion here is it could either go really good, what happens with Georgia and Alabama, or really bad. So it's going to be interesting. We'll find out end of this month when you know oh, how that's going to go. So two big games without a doubt. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And Philip, you know, you bring up the both losses, obviously, to Florida and LSU. Man, look. Auburn, if Auburn's offense would have made you know one or two more plays specifically in that LSU game, man, that, they would have upset LSU in Baton Rouge. Um, now Florida, they they didn't play as well, you know, and that was kind of the first time where we thought, okay, you know, Malzahn had, he didn't put Bo Nix in you know such a great situation there. Um, but the LSU game, man, Auburn had chances to win that game and they just couldn't get it done. And you know th- that's hurting to see because th- this team can be good. They're just having issues with the coaching staff. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I'm, I'm going to wrap this up, Philip, with saying that, yeah, I agree with you. I think that Georgia and Alabama, those two games kind of dictate what, what's going to happen, um, you know, administration, coaching staff-wise. Uh, if, you know, if they're blowouts, you know, we could see some firings and some new hirings. But if they're both close games and Auburn can squeak it out against Georgia and, you know, keep it close with Alabama, uh, yeah, I do agree with you. I think Gus will keep his job. But, uh, if they get blown out in both games, I think we'll see something totally different going into next year. 
Yeah, you know, like I said, to wrap it up, it will be interesting. And I tell you what, it's going to be interesting this Saturday. I know you're 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 ready for it and probably nervous about it at the same time. Uh, the LSU Alabama game, uh, weird being during the daytime, uh, but you know we've I think we've talked about that a couple times the last couple of weeks. Of course, uh, to a game time decision. That's what Nick Saban said. You know, I mean, you were talking about this before we recorded here. Uh, Two is playing. He's going to start. I mean, you know, they can quit with this little, you know, charade that he's a game time decision. Two is playing. Now, if he plays the whole game, that'd be another thing. Uh, but uh, we record this on Monday. So uh, some news came out about LSU. Their sack leader, Michael Divinity, uh, he has left the team also. So, uh, Brandon, uh, I have yet to really deep dive into the Alabama LSU game, but we, I will before the week's out. But for you, looking at this game, the Tua injury situation, uh, Michael Divinity leaving the team. Uh, just what are your overall thoughts for Alabama and LSU? Yeah, man, look, I, honestly, I could talk about this game with you for like three hours. Uh, <laughs> but but I'm going to keep it simple here. You're right, Philip. you said it a minute ago. I'm kind of nervous about this game. Uh, the first couple weeks of the season, LSU was rolling offensively, and I was like, all right, Bama, LSU is going to be a really, really good game. Uh, and I still think it will be. Uh, look, as far as the Tua situation goes, you know, you said it, me and you talked about it, me and my dad even talked about it before you and I started recording. Tua's going to play. Uh, quote-unquote game-time decision. Uh, man, I'm throwing that thing out of the water. Um, Tua's going to play this game. Whether he can take a substantial hit or not, um, you know, that we'll, we'll find out on Saturday. Um, but like I said last week, man, I hope he plays. You know, I want it to be competitive. I know LSU players have said the same thing. Um, and then, you know, as far as the Michael Divinity situation goes, man, he hasn't played like the last two games. I think he was like internally suspended or something for one game. Um, he left due to family issues. I think there's, I didn't really read into it, but he's, he's got some personal family things going on. Uh, now that doesn't necessarily hurt LSU defensively because they've got Patrick Queen and Jacob Phillips there. They can really step up and look, both of those guys are really talented. They're a linebacker. Uh, I know Divinity was supposed to kind of be the quote-unquote leader of this defense there in the linebacker position this year, but his loss isn't – I don't think it's going to affect him that much considering that he hasn't even played the last two games and the defense has looked just fine. I mean, against Mississippi State, that looked great. Um, So I don't think his absence is really going to affect the defensive scheme that much against Alabama. Um, But as far as – as long as Tua plays in this game, Man, I, I can see it being a shootout, and if Tua, you know, barring any injury, any injury or anything, if he was to go out and Mac Jones comes in uh, and they get into a shootout, let me just go ahead and say it's over, man. Because Mac Jones does not want to get into a shootout with Joe Burrow. Oh, but definitely, yeah. And I, I kind of felt like this was going to be a high-scoring game. I didn't even, you know, I didn't even before we got recorded. I didn't look at what the actual over under is for this game it's got to be pretty high i know alabama's a six and a half point favorite so that shows me the odds makers in vegas think two is going to play because of you know they're pretty confident in that so it's going to be uh i can't wait saturday 2 30 i mean i just can't wait for this game to kick off uh i know it's we're recording this on monday so we're in a few days out but so do you have a prediction for the game mm, yeah philip i think i've settled on one uh, look, like I said, Tua's going to play this game. LSU's offense is really good. The defense isn't going to be affected by Michael Divinity's absence. I think Patrick Queen and Jacob Fields are both going to step up and play very solid at linebacker. Um, 
And for Alabama's defense, man, they're you know they're not the the elite Alabama defense that we've seen, but they do have playmakers. Um, I'm going to take LSU 45-42. I know the spread's Alabama six and a half, but man, and I've said this so many times. I've talked to my dad about it so many times too. Just not even recording uh, my LSU breakdown podcast, just on the phone. That if if this is the year LSU is going to end this eight game losing streak, Alabama. This is it. I mean, this offense is so talented. Um, they can put up numbers. They can score quick. Um, the defense, you know, they finally kind of found their way, um, their their true identity, if you will. Um, so I, I'm hoping for a competitive high-scoring game, and I, I think LSU comes out with a win and they'll remain undefeated. Interesting pick. And for people wanting to know who I'm going to pick, I got to wait to Thursday. We're dropping. I'm dropping another podcast on Thursday, so you're going to have to wait for my pick later in the week. I know everybody's on their on their hands and knees at the edge of their seat, wondering who is Philip Jordan going to pick this week. But uh, you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait a few more days. And you know, before we get out of here, uh, of course, big news that hit on Sunday: uh, Florida State fired Willie Taggart after just 21 games, uh, pretty much a season and a half. Uh, 9-12 and 12 overalls to head coach at Florida State. $17 million buyout. Uh, spent a lot of money also you know, paying for his buyout at Oregon. So, I mean, a lot of money has been spent here on, on Willie Taggart. I think I saw someone. I think Darren Ravel, uh, who I believe is with the Athletic, uh, said around $30 million altogether when he put all that money together. You know what? I, when he got hired at Florida State, Brandon, I was kind of thinking, you know what? I think Willie Taggart's going to be okay. I think Florida State will be fine. There's talent there. Willie Taggart's done good work because when you look at his previous stops at Western Kentucky, they he started two and ten his first year, but next year seventy five seventy five. Then he went to South Florida. They were two and ten, and then four and eight his first two years, and then this year three and four, eight and five, ten and two. His one year at Oregon, he was seven and five, which Oregon had some struggles the year before he came in. They kind of kind of took a big dip, so you kind of figured, okay, he's going to do the same thing at Oregon. They're going to be a ten win team. So I, I'll be honest, I, I'm kind of surprised that it went the way it did at Florida State, but. Man, if you watch Florida State play under him, I mean, the last year and a half, they are disorganized. They are undisciplined. I mean, they just, they never look prepared to play. And then they had a couple games this season. Of course, the Boise State game was the first one, big lead, blow it. And they had a couple other games where they had big leads, almost blew, blew the game and uh, uncompetitive against Clemson. So, I mean, this is not the Florida State we're used to seeing, obviously. So, I mean, I agree this had to be done, but there is a part of me that's kind of shocked that they weren't more successful under Willie Taggart. Yeah, yeah, I'm just as shocked and surprised as you are, Philip, that, that they fired Taggart, you know, in, in in the season like this. I figured, you know, they would at least wait out the last few games and then, you know, do it should they not get bowl eligible or, you know, whatever. Um, and look, this is something that, I, I knew it was coming because, like you said, Florida State, they play undisciplined. You know, they're disorganized as a team. Um, and, and it kind of goes back to, to years ago, too, with Bobby Bowden built up the dynasty. Jimbo Fisher comes in, kind of keeps it going. But then he leaves the program in such turmoil mm-hmm. that, you know, it was unreal. He took his his $75 million from A&M because it was money. Um, but, you know, they had a couple of good years with him. And then Willie Taggart comes in, man. And look, his track record really wasn't, you know, substantial and all that great. I mean, he had the one, 
you know, okay, kind of good here at Oregon. But you look at what he did at Western Kentucky and South Florida, man, and then he, you know, comes to Florida State after just one year at Oregon. And five and seven last year, they're four and five now. Um, losses to Miami two straight years. You know, Clemson, uh, they're going to lose to Florida again. Uh, the the opening blow blown game loss to Boise State. Um, you know, I, I think that kind of really set the fan base apart from Taggart was that game. Even though they were already, you know, kind of upset with him because they went five and seven last year, didn't make a bowl game. Um, yeah, I think the opening loss, at, especially at home to, to Boise, kind of, kind of did it for him. Um, and just to play, I don't want to say uncompetitive, but so disorganized the way Florida State did. And look, Cam Akers from the running back position had to carry them in, in some of their games. Um, I actually went last year to watch them play Samford when DeAndre Francois was to the quarterback. And man, they looked so bad. They almost lost that game, too. Um, but I'm just so – I was shocked yesterday when I saw it. Um, and, you know, there's so many names swirling around out there, uh, and I'm sure you're going to get into this here in a minute. But, I, look, I don't know who they're going to go hire. But I've told so many people this over the last day or two, you know, that Florida State's got to hire somebody that can kind of re-revolutionize this program and get them back to the national prominent, you know, ACC slash national championship contender that they have they were for so many years. Yeah, I mean, it's – Look, I mean, I follow Florida State, and it's it's this is not Florida State, and talking about some candidates. Which look, this happened on Sunday. We're recording on Monday, so there's a lot of names going to get thrown out there. People rumored say they're interested in the job, all that other stuff. You know, some names I, I've seen in the last 24 to 36 hours. I guess since the story dropped, uh, Lane Kiffin. At Florida Atlantic, which they're having a better year than they did last year. Of course, his first year there, they won ten games, and last year they had a losing record. They're six and three right now. Mark Stoops at Kentucky. Honestly, that one of all the names makes the most sense to me. Is Mark Stoops, Bob Stoops, who's you know going to be coaching in the XFL, coaching the Dallas franchise starting this February. I don't know. He has said he's not interested, and I've read other people really close to him said he doesn't want to get back into college coaching yet. So we'll see. I have seen people bring up PJ Fleck, who hey undefeated at Minnesota right now. They're playing Penn State in a big game this Saturday. Both teams are undefeated there. So I mean, that's a good coach. Would he leave after just two years at Minnesota? So, but for me, of those names, and I'm, I'm sure you've probably seen some different ones than I've just named, but for me, the one that makes the most sense is Mark Stoops because of his. You know, he's been successful at Kentucky. Yes, they're four and four this year. I mean, they have had a an inept and horrible passing game all year. Injuries at quarterback had really hurt them. But last year they got to what I think as high as eleventh in the country. Ten games for Kentucky. He's done things in Kentucky that things that they've never been done before, beating Florida, ending that streak, so on and so on. His history with the university there at Florida State. For so for me of those names, Mark Stoops makes the most sense uh have you heard any names different from what i mentioned there yeah, yeah actually i have philip so uh I, I think it was Brittany burphy um or it may have been some other national uh college football writer that tweeted this out that matt campbell from iowa state has the best odds at three to one to be the next coach at fsu 
Um, and then way on down the line at the very bottom was Bobby Bowden at 50 to 1. <laughs> now, let me say Bobby Bowden. Why not? Why not? <laughs> why, why not? But he, he's not going to take it, but, but no. Um, Bob Stoops was, from reports, he was actually in Tallahassee on Monday. Um, so I- interesting there. I, I, I've seen people say Urban Meyer, but we all know that he's not going to FSU. It's, it, it's, if he goes anywhere, he's going to go to Southern Cal. Yeah, I was about to um, say, a Southern Cal or nobody. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then um, I, I saw something on, I think it was Facebook or something, about Maya Beach, uh, which would be really, really interesting. Um, but, yeah, I've seen Mark Stoops, Mike Leach, Bob Stoops, um, all those guys. But, man, I, if if I had to throw one name out there that would kind of turn this thing like 180 degrees that nobody would think of, and, and as much as it would pain me and you know other fans to I think I know where you're going. Man, I think I know where you're going. I, 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 Honestly, man, I I wouldn't be surprised if if Florida State contacted Dave Aranda from LSU. Uh, oh, I mean, look, he's one of he he's one of the best coordinators in the country, and eventually, like I've said with my dad and many other people, the, the guy's going to get a big name job. You know, eventually. Now, whether he would take the job at Florida State with you know the the turmoil that the program is in, you know, who knows? But I really wouldn't be surprised if if Florida State's administration gave Dave Aranda a call. Okay, I, I completely figured you were going to go LSU with that, but I was not thinking Dave Aranda. So can you guess who I was thinking you were going to say? Could have been Orgeron, man. No, not Orgeron. It's an assistant on the staff. Is it Joe Brady? Because I saw somebody tweet that out on Sunday that they thought Joe Brady might get looked. Now, I, for, okay, for me on that, I'll just say this. Joe Brady's done a fantastic job with LSU this season, you know, you know, changing that whole offense, you know, with Innsmaker. But I would be hesitant to hire him as a head coach because he's not technically been an offense coordinator yet. You know what I mean? So I think he needs to kind of move up that ladder a little bit to be an actual – I know he's – I know he helps with the, you know, the, the game plan and the offense stuff like that, but he's not entitled the offense coordinator. So you kind of get what I'm saying. I just, um, give him some more time. If he continues doing what he's doing with LSU, if he can, can add on to that, he's going to be head coach. But yeah, I saw some, that's why I thought he was going to go with Joe Brady because that's who I saw yesterday on Twitter. So, but, uh, Aranda, that's another great name too as well. But yeah, I honestly thought he was going to go Joe Brady. No, no, I, I wasn't thinking Joe Brady, and it's kind of like I was talking with my dad uh, before me and you started recording on the phone with him. And I was saying that, look, you know, what Brady's done w- with his passing game, and he's also the wide receiver coach, uh, but what he's done with his passing game at LSU, you know, it, it's great. It, it, it's wonderful to watch, even as a fan. But I, like I was telling dad, I think he needs to stay. And, look, I don't know what his, what his contract is at LSU right now, but I think he needs to stay next year and develop Miles Brennan uh, because Brennan's supposed to be "quote unquote" the you know this next great quarterback for LSU, and even though you know he's been in backup situations, hadn't played well, it's because they haven't really given him the time to to really develop. So I think Brady needs to stay at least one more year. Um, but Philip, I just off the top of my head here for a second, I'm going to throw out another crazy name uh, for this Florida State job, and Gus I know he probably won't. No, no, no. I probably <laughs> know. I, I, Look, I know the the guy's probably not even going to be contacted right now just because of you know the way his program is going. But wouldn't Neil Brown from West Virginia be a, a you know kind of a, an interesting name too to throw out there? I mean, what he did here at Troy uh, was great, and you know, I, look, I still think he jumped jumped off too early. 
took the big job too early. Um, should have stayed at Troy at least through this year because of you know what we're going through right now. But that to me that would be an interesting name. I think the top two interesting names besides everybody else would be Dave Aranda and Neil Brown. Hmm. Neil Brown's interesting, and Neil Brown's fantastic coach, and he will do good. I mean, I know. They have a losing record now there at West Virginia, but I do believe he's going to get that thing going pretty good up there too, just because of the level of coach that he is. So, yeah, it, all this is going to be interesting. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of names mentioned between now and when Florida State does hire someone. Cause you wouldn't expect them to hire somebody until after the season. You wouldn't hear about anything like this before the season's over with. So we got another month, uh, to hear about this. So it's going to be interesting. There's going to be other coaches get fired. Other jobs are going to come open. Like we talk about USC probably going to be one of them so we'll see it's going to be uh interesting and uh we have hit about the 40 minute mark so i think that is a good spot to stop for this week and uh brandon you know i always appreciate you coming on and uh chatting college football and sec every week where we recap and talk about what's going on and if the listeners want to follow you online where can they find you yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at B-Eisman623. That's E-I-S-E-N-M-A-N uh, with a capital B and then the number 623. And you can also find all of my LSU-related content over at lastwordoncollegefootball.com. I'll have an LSU-Bama preview out this week, and I'm also writing up something on the Michael situation there. And you can also check out my LSU Breakdown podcast over on Apple Podcasts, um, Spreaker, Anchor, um, I'm trying to think of where it's at. Man, it's on a lot of them. Uh, but, yeah, be sure to check that out. And, uh, Philip, you know, as always, I really appreciate you uh, having me on to recap the SEC and college football with you. It's always a fun time, man. Oh, absolutely. I always appreciate your time coming on here to do this. I know you're busy, work, school, and all that stuff. I appreciate the time every week. And, uh, guys, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at P. Jordan Radio. Check out my Auburn stuff and just overall stuff for last word in college football find this podcast on apple Podcasts and all your favorite podcast apps and please subscribe rate interview really appreciate that and i'll be back with another podcast on thursday i'm scheduled to be joined by matt lowe from lindy sports we're going to talk about the first college football rankings that are coming out on Tuesday night so really looking forward to that and uh, brandon i'll talk to you again uh, next week